Our sermon text for today is found in the book of Judges. And we're going to observe two whole chapters, chapters 4 and 5. As I've explained before, because of the length of the passages in this series, I will not open the sermon with a reading from Scripture, but much of the reading will be scattered throughout the sermon. You will benefit greatly from opening up the pew Bible that is in front of you or your own Bible and keeping it open because I'll often refer to the verses uh, and to the chapters that I'll be reading from. We're complex beings. We're capable of great good, but we're also capable of great evil. We can do great feats of faith, and we can do great feats of faithlessness. We can mistakenly believe that the category of evil is reserved for people like Adolf Hitler, and the category of good is reserved for people like Mother Teresa. But we ourselves, on a daily basis, navigate the same categories, and the ability to do great good and the ability to do great evil very much live inside of us today. The same short-tempered father who constantly yells at his wife and children is also capable of working countless hours sacrificing his body and health to provide for the very same family. The same idle mother who spends hours aimlessly scrolling through Facebook is the same mother who is capable of staying up all night caring for her sick child. The same dishonest student that uses chat GPT to write papers for him is also capable of sacrificing his own free time in order to help a friend who is not as intellectually capable to understand concepts that will help him do well at school. We're not monolithic when it comes to morality. We're morally complex beings, and if you don't see yourself within this spectrum of good and evil, you are not rightly assessing yourself. More than that, if you're not seeing yourself through these lenses of moral complexity, you are not viewing yourself in light of biblical anthropology. You're not viewing yourself in light of what the Bible says about the human experience. So, if it is true that we are capable of great good, but also capable of great evil, the question in our minds should be, how do we maximize good and minimize evil? Perhaps another way to ask this question would be, how do we maximize grace and minimize sin? And the answer is, we need to constantly direct our entire hearts away from ourselves and turn it towards God. 
Paul says in Romans 6, 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Last week we met three judges. The first, Othniel, was a model judge who delivered the people of Israel well. Ehud, the second judge, the left-handed assassin was deceptive. But he used his cunning for good. And he also was a good deliverer. The third judge, Shemgar, was an average man. We only have one verse on him. He delivered God's people not with swords or javelins or spears, but with an ox goat. And he struck 600 Philistines with it. So we saw last week that God does great things through ordinary people. And that's good news for us because not many of us are extraordinary. Today, we'll see that God does great things through weak people. And this is good news for us because we're all weak. Through the book of Judges, we've, seen, we've been seeing what is called the Judges cycle, a cycle of sin, servitude, supplication, and salvation. So throughout the book, we see Israel sinning against God and God handing them over to serve other nations. Then we see Israel crying out, presenting their supplication to God, asking for deliverance, and God providing for Israel a Savior, a Deliverer, a Judge. We see this cycle take place, and immediately after, we see it start again. Our first week we call this a vicious cycle. Today we enter another one of these cycles. And today we'll meet a judge that is unique, like the other judges. She's a woman. She's a good leader. She is a godly leader. In many ways, she can be considered the godliest of all 12 judges. She's a prophetess, meaning she speaks the oracles from God to God's people. Chapter 5 is entirely dedicated to a song that she wrote along with Barak to God. She reminds us of Miriam, Moses' sister, doesn't she? She in many ways brings us back to the Exodus. This judge's name is Deborah. The narrative gives us no indication that Deborah does anything wrong by taking on leadership. But as we're going to see today, it is clear that leadership takes place because of the idleness of men. Today we'll also meet Barak. Unlike the other judges we've seen so far, Barak is not filled with courage. He is filled with fear. He is a tentative leader. He is tentative to the directive of the Lord. He is tentative to obey the commandments of God. And when he's called, 
to trust the Lord and enter the battlefield instead of trusting the presence of the Lord, he trusts the presence of Deborah instead. Now, this is good for us, right? In many ways, we too struggle with fear. No one is fully confident in all aspects of their lives. We may be bold in an area and fearful in another. It is not a surprise that fear not is the most often repeated commandment in the Bible. As fear plays a role in our lives, it leads us at times to trouble, but it also can lead us to salvation. I am an expert at fear. My mom tells me that my first word was fear. So I speak to you as one who struggles with this very thing. And yet, fear is always a part of our experience. When we fear, we're reminded of our weakness and our utter dependence on the strong grace of God. God's army is made up of weak soldiers who trust a strong, grace-filled God. So if you struggle with fear, so if you feel weak, you qualify to join the army of God. Pastor Charles Spurgeon once said, the Lord's servant can serve him, the, the Lord's servant cannot serve him in their own strength, for they cannot even live unless his grace abounds towards them. So today as we turn to our text, let us consider our strengths, but let us also deeply consider our weaknesses. Let us consider how the path of strength in the Lord and weakness can guide us by grace to victory in Christ. So as we go through our text today, we're going to consider three words. We're going to consider the word strength. We're going to consider the word weakness. And we're going to consider the word victory. So first, let's turn to the word strength. Strength comes from the Lord. There's nothing controversial about this statement, right? Strength comes from the Lord. This is as clear as day throughout the entire canon of Scripture. Exodus 15, verse 2, in a very similar event as Moses leads the people out of Egypt and then writes a song of praise to God for his deliverance. Moses reminds the people that the Lord is my strength in my song. Habakkuk 3.19, God, the Lord is my strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me do you see the source of strength ephesians 6 10 finally be strong how where in the lord and in the strength of his might this is important for us because we lack strength so we see when we see examples of strength in the bible we know that the strength anyone experiences comes from god in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see the beginning of the cycle of Judges very clearly. Look at verse 1. 
And the people of Israel again did was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the death of Ehud, the left-handed assassin, precipitated the rebellion of Israel. Israel's faithfulness was connected to the strength of the judge. Verse 2, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hashareth Hagoim. Jabin, the king, this time will not play a major role in our narrative. We have seen kings play a major role thus far. But the major role of opposition is not the king this time, but the commander of his armies, Sisera, that we're going to meet in a little bit. Then the people of Israel, verse 3, cried out to the Lord for help. For he, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. You may remember that Judah, in chapter 1, verse 19, struggled to win the battle against the peoples of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Chariots of iron were like modern-day tanks. They were trouble in the battlefield. So the Lord has delivered His people into great oppression. So we see in the first three verses are the first three words of the cycle of Judges. We see that Israel sinned. We see that the Lord handed them over to servitude. And we see the people of Israel crying out to the Lord for help. But we're missing a Savior. Well, we meet her in chapter, in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. Deborah is indeed one of the most re remarkable characters in the Bible. She is exuberant in strength, the strength that the Lord provides. Unlike all the other judges, we meet Deborah when she is already displaying great spiritual activity in her life. It's interesting that we're told that Deborah is a prophetess. We're not told that she's a judge. The text tells us that she was judging, that was her function, but that she was a prophetess, that is her office. Women prophets or prophetesses were not very common in the Old Testament. We find five of them. But they were definitely not unheard of. The most famous prophetesses were Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Deborah herself. Let me take a minute to entertain one important question. We're not told here that Deborah is a judge, but we're told that she judges. So, is Deborah a judge? I began my studies this week certain that Deborah was not a judge, but Barak was. 
All of the other 11 judges were warriors. They were all military leaders. But Deborah is not a warrior. And Barak is. While other judges call people to follow them into battle, Deborah calls no one to follow her into, into battle, but Barak does. Twice in the Bible, we find incomplete lists of judges, and Deborah is not mentioned in either of these lists, but Barak is. If you want to look at these lists later, you will find the first one in 1 Samuel 12, 11, and the second one in Hebrews 11, 32, 1 Samuel 12, 11, and Hebrews 11, 32. On the other hand, the text does say that Deborah judged, doesn't it? The narrative begins with her and not Barak. So it seems like this chapter is primarily about Deborah and not Barak. As we read the narrative, it seems like Deborah is the Savior and that Barak, in some ways, functions under Deborah. There seems to be an intrinsic link between Deborah and Barak. They interact with one another. They go to the battlefield together and listen to Deborah's song, Deborah's and Barak's song in chapter 5. In verse 1, we're introduced to the song. The song is not of Deborah only or Barak only, but the song is of both of them. The song says in verse 12, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Sounds like Deborah is a spiritual leader, doesn't it? But then it goes on to say, Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Sounds military, doesn't it? So it seems to me that both Deborah and Barak are viewed as judges. Deborah was the judge in the spiritual sense, and Barak was the judge in the military sense. They needed one another. They complemented one another. Deborah is an example of strength in this passage. But in what way is Deborah strong? Deborah was strong in her faithfulness. We find her in verse 5, sitting under a palm, judging disputes among the people of Israel. She very much follows the footsteps of Moses. Think of how God came to Gideon and how he finds him. He was beating out wheat, hidden out of fear of the Canaanites. Or think of Jephthah, a wild man at war with his own siblings. But Deborah... Deborah is found serving the people of God. Deborah points us towards faithfulness in season and out of season. Deborah's faithfulness was not dependent on her office or on her role. Deborah was found faithful even before 
is called to action. Deborah points us towards faithfulness at all times. She is found, she's found in the narrative doing what is right. This is the Christian life. We're called to live faithful lives today. Do we have great titles, great offices? That doesn't matter, does it? What matters is that we be found faithful today. Will the world know about us? Will there be books written about us? That doesn't matter, does it? What matters is that we be found faithful today, not tomorrow. One of the worst things we can do is put off the decision to do what is right until tomorrow. Have you ever said this? I will just put out the trash in the morning. Have you ever driven home and thought, I will get gas when I leave in the morning? Those are bad decisions, aren't they? It is good to do what is right, right now, and not tomorrow. Tomorrow is not, not a good time for faithfulness. Today is i've heard people say i will live my life as i want when i'm young and when i'm old i'll become a christian the problem is that first we don't know our days we don't know when our last day will be we don't know when the lord will return we don't know when the day of salvation will be over But the other problem is that a statement like this does not speak of someone who is directing their lives towards God, but someone who is directing their lives away from God. And friends, these are paths, and they're different, and they lead to different destinies. The time to be faithful unto the Lord is today. Tomorrow, it will be harder In 10 years, you will find yourself with greater and greater unfaithfulness. But if we look to the Lord today, we can find Him. We have no assurance of what tomorrow will be. When Jesus is speaking of His second coming, the time and the hour is not known to men. Even the Son of Man on earth did not know the time and the hour. But in Luke 12, 37, he says, Blessed are those, are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Friend, are you awake spiritually today? Are you aware of the Lord? Are you seeking to grow in faithfulness towards the Lord? Are you aware that the Lord could return at any moment in our destinies? will be sealed then. Oh, friend, Jesus is coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the time to be faithful is right now. Deborah is not only strong because she's faithful, she's also strong because of her faith. In verse 6, she calls Barak and reminds him of the calling of the Lord in his life. Has not the Lord... The God of Israel commanded you. 
She believes in the word of God. In verse 14, she tells Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? You see here, the difference of faithfulness between faithfulness and faith is that faithfulness is our response. Our response to the Lord and faith is our trust in the Lord. Deborah had both. Deborah, Deborah certainly had a strong faith, but in her strength, she sought to strengthen the faith of others. Deborah used her strong faith to speak faith into the heart of Barak. And this is the heart of genuine faith. Faith that is genuine is contagious. Faith that is truly born of God will instill faith in others. Faith that is from the Lord points others towards the Lord. I often hear believers speak of the condition of this world, of our society, of our country. And what I hear often is fatalism. Aren't things just out of control out there? There's no hope for this world. There's no hope for this nation. Often our view of the condition of this world can promote hopelessness. But if we have a God who is sovereign and powerful, hopelessness should not be a part of our lives. Deborah, in the midst of oppression, slavery, hardship, reminds Eric of the promises of the Lord. Friends, we need to be reminded of the promises of the Lord today. The Lord that calls us to battle. The Lord who gives the enemy into our hands. We need to surround ourselves with people who will remind us that Jesus is strong, that He is faithful, and that He is for us. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, it is, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When, other interact, when others interact with you, do they walk away with a greater experience of grace? You know, sometimes we may think that that's the case. Here's a great way for us to find out if that's the case or not. Ask people who are close to you if your words towards them give them grace. And, and just tell them, be, be honest. Help me know how I'm using my words. Ask them, when you speak to me, do you have greater strength in the Lord? When we talk together, do you walk away trusting the Lord more? Friends, our words must be faithful. Our words must be faith-building words. Our speech must be soul-stretching speech. Our goal should be to... Through our words, present everyone mature unto Christ Jesus. So can I ask you, 
Do you seek to strengthen others with your words? Do you use your words to help others obey God? There is absolutely no room for idle words, no room for words that harm, no room for words that discourage others in the body of Christ. On the contrary, we need our words to be like the words of Deborah. Words that point us to God. Let me say this as well. We are going to have, we all have two kinds of friendships in our lives. We have those friends, right, that are close to us because they need to hear the word of God. They need to hear the promises of God and their faith needs to be strengthened. And we have those friends that we need to go to and hear from them the words of God so that we are strengthened. Friends, let us choose our friendships wisely. Let us choose our friendships so that those who are being influenced by us are being influenced to trust God. And those who are influencing us are influencing us towards the faith and trust of God. The abundance of, abundance of words in our years will lead us either to faith or to hopelessness. This is why we need a godly community around us. In our weakness, we often need others to be strong for us. Barak needed to borrow the strength of Deborah. We need to constantly surround ourselves with people who say to us, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before us? Friends, let us make sure that our words are measured. Let us never let the opportunity of pointing someone towards Christ pass by us. Let's turn now to the word weakness. Well, you heard me say that strength comes from the Lord, and that's not controversial. I believe that perhaps most of us, all of us, believe this very truth in the Bible. But now I want to say to you that there is a sense in which weakness comes from the Lord as well. Job 13, 15, Job speaks to God, Though he slays me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my words to his face. Psalm 94, 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It is through weakness that great spiritual battles are won. God chooses the weak because when the strong wins the battle, the strong receives the glory. But when the weak wins the battle, the, glo the glory very clearly belongs to God. Well, today we meet a weak man. 
His name is Barak. He's not weak in his physical abilities. He's weak in his faith. He enters the narrative in verse 6. So look at verse 6. She, that is Deborah, sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali. So that's his tribe, the tribe of Naphtali. And said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you in the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I'll give him into your hand. Did you notice how all-encompassing the promises of the Lord are here? He tells Barak where to gather his men, how many men to gather, which of the tribes he should bring along for help. He tells him, that God Himself will draw out His enemy, and He tells him that He, Barak, would win the battle. I mean, this is a roadmap to success. It's like the Lord is giving victory into His hands. But how does Barak respond? Look at verse 8. Barak said to her, Deborah, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What just happened here? This mighty warrior. After God tells him of all the ways in which he will deliver his enemies, into his hands. Barak tells Deborah that he will only go if she goes with him. Barak, are the promises of the Lord not enough? Barak, is it not enough to hear from the Lord that victory belongs to you? One great weakness, a general saying to a woman that he will only go to war if she comes with him. The job of a warrior is to protect Women, not to put them in danger. How should Barak have responded? Well, let's look at Moses' response. Just a few books later, when God tells Moses to lead Israel out of Sinai into the promised land, Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses says to God, if you don't go with us, I will not go. Imagine the responsibility on Moses' shoulder, shoulders over two million people in the desert waiting for his leadership. So where does Moses find confidence? Not in plans or projects or people or power. Moses finds confidence in the Lord. The confidence of a believer must rest on the fact that God is with us. He fights our battles. He gives us victory. 
And here's why, friends, when we look at culture and we say it is all against us, we can be reminded that if God is for us, no one can be against us. As we continue in the narrative, Deborah says that she will go with Barak. But listen to what she says in verse 9. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. This is a clear indictment of the weakness of male leadership. God has designed His people to be led by godly, humble, confident men. But when men fail to lead, both men and women suffer. This is not, this is not a statement on the nature of men and women. Both men and women are created in God's image, fully dignified. This is a, an indictment, or this is a statement on the different roles that men and women ought to exercise. Just this week, Jeff Hagens, Jeff Frisco, and I were representing our church at the Southern Baptist Convention. And friends, our convention took a clear stance on the Bible, affirming that the office of pastor, elder, overseer is reserved for men. Is this countercultural? Of course it is. Will the world misunderstand us? Of course it will. I spent enough time on Twitter to know that they have already misunderstood us. But friends, we don't chase the world. We don't chase culture. We root ourselves in the Word of God. And when the Word of God and culture part ways, which is often, we remain with the Word and we say goodbye to the world. If you want to see the need to be countercultural, just look to the mainline Protestant, Protestant denominations that sought to please the culture in the past several de decades by ignoring the biblical teaching on male leadership and enter a terrible, slippery slope that has led them today to deny Scripture, deny Christian morality, and become completely enamored with LGBTQ affirm affirmation and all kinds of immorality and debauchery. We are not doing that. We are not chasing the culture. We are trusting God. And we're trusting His Word. Today's Father's Day. And what a great opportunity for us gentlemen to stop and ask ourselves, are we leading our homes? Are we pursuing the spiritual well-being of our homes? Do you want to be countercultural? Be a strong, spiritual, committed leader in your home. 
Be a husband who leads your wife in the knowledge of God's Word. Be a father who leads your children to the throne of grace. Friends, let us ask ourselves some questions. Do we take initiative in family devotionals? Are our wives more interested in the Word of God and theology than we are? If every prayer we pray this week for our family were, would be answered, how many answers would we get? Are we modeling holiness in our homes? Are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit to our wives and children? What about a church? Are we showing love to the members of this church and faithfulness to God by being willing to take on leadership? Are you speaking gospel truths to build up our church and to give hope to the lost? Do your co-workers know the gospel because they work with you? As men, we can feel so tempted to just let things happen. A couch, a TV, some football, a few hours of video games, and life passes us by. But listen, Christian men don't let things happen. Christian men, by faith in Christ and through the grace that God supplies, make things happen. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be watchful, stand firm in faith, Act like men. Be strong. This is the call that God has always issued to the men and His people. And He issues this call to us today. Back in the text, the Lord indeed gives Barak victory. He wins the battle against Sisera's 900 iron chariots. All of Sisera's men fell by Barak's sword except for Sisera himself. He managed to run away. Well, he ran away from Barak, but not from God's judgment. So let's read starting verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor in the house of Heber the Kenites, verse 18, and Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Yael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until he went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Yael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, 
and I'll show you the men whom you are seeking. So he went into the tents, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. And thus Sisera was killed, not by Barak, the great warrior, but by Yael, a woman. A woman that acted motherly towards him. She comforts him. She covers him. She cares for him. When he asks for water, she gives him milk instead. And even when she kills him, she does so softly, gently. So God, through the fearful warrior and the motherly woman, delivers victory to his people. Now remember what I said in the beginning. We're complex beings. We're capable of great good, but we're also capable of great evil. Barak, in his weakness, does accomplish the salvation of God's people. He leads them well. So much so that in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, he is mentioned alongside men like Abel, Enoch, Abraham, in Moses, Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, whom through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. So here's the point. The Lord loves to accomplish great things through weak faith. Barak, with all his flaws, was ultimately faithful. And this is great news because your faith is small, your faith is weak. But because your faith is small and weak, you are eligible to accomplish great things for God, what matters ultimately is not the size of your faith, but the object of it. And friends, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ Himself. We're not mighty, we're not great, we're not powerful, yet we have been called to transform the whole world. And how can we do that? By faith. Faith in the message. Faith in the message of a warrior who was strong but made himself weak, Jesus Christ. He faced the battle against the devil. And by dying on the cross, he crushed the head of the enemy. Just as Jael crushed the head of Sisera. Friends, Christ, our mighty Savior, made himself weak so that we weak people could identify with him he took on himself our sins on the cross and he offers to us by the power of his resurrection and the indwelling of his holy spirit his righteousness this is the message that all of the judges are pointing us towards it's a message of victory but not victory in our own strength but in the strength that god supplies through christ do you know the strength of Christ? Have you come to experience Christ as the great Savior that does not deliver you from Sisera, 
or other worldly enemies, but delivers you from your own sin and from the power of the devil and of death. Do you know Christ? If you know Christ, you know our last word for today. The word is triumph. We'll go through this point very quickly. We turn our attention quickly to chapter 5. I wish I could spend more time here, but I can't. Chapter 5, um, in many ways, recounts the event of chapter 4. If you want to do a little bit of a biblical study this afternoon, go home and read Exodus 14 and 15, and then read Judges 4 and 5. You see the parallel of the narrative followed by poem everything that we just saw in the narrative in chapter 5 is reiterated in poetic form so while chapter 4 is in prose regular language chapter 5 is written in the form of a poem it's a song of victory but what is remarkable about this song is that deborah and barak don't focus on themselves but they focus on the lord who gives them the victory. This song reminds us that in strength and in weakness, if we're like Deborah or if we're like Barak, the victory belongs to the Lord. And if the victory belongs to the Lord, glory also belongs to the Lord. Deborah does not steal the praise of God in light of her success. And friends, may we be like Deborah. And remember that our victories must not turn into self-accolades, but into songs of praise and thankfulness to the one who gives us victory, to the one who gives victory to the weak. May we sing the song of praise of a great God who redeems the weak sinner. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the examples of strength and weakness that we see in your word. Lord, we desire to be strong, but we know we can only be strong in Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith. Lord, even when our faith is weak, like Barak's, help us, Lord, turn to you and obey you. Thank you for weak leaders. Thank you, Lord, for leaders who depend on you. Give us more of that in our church, in our lives, in our families. Lord, we trust that you provide for us that which we need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.